Welcome to the Chiropractic United podcast series for January 17th, 2012. This podcast is brought to you by CPP Seminars. For more information on CPP technique, please browse to idealspine.com. Also brought to you by Dr. Fred DiDomenico of Elite Coaching. To see how Dr. Fred can bring your practice to new heights, browse to elitecoachingllc.com. And finally, by Postrico, developers of the award-winning Posture Screen mobile app available on iTunes, as well as the X-Ray EMR system known as Posturay. For more information, please go to postureanalysis.com. All right, Fred, take it away. Okay, welcome everybody out there in podcast land. Uh, this is Dr. Fred DiDomenico with Elite Coaching and my co-founders, Dr. Deed Harrison and Dr. Joe Ferrantelli of CBP and Posture Co. We have a really cool guest tonight that um, is been extremely active. In fact, the tip of the spear in all the CCE campaigns, Steve Tullius. And uh, welcome, Steve. Yeah, welcome. It, thank yes, you, guys. Well, great, to, great to be on the show. Yeah, we're excited to have you here, man. You know, we do these Chiropractic United podcasts with leaders like you that are out there changing the profession and standing up for the principle. And uh, that's what Chiropractic United is, bringing research, philosophy, science, along with the art and principle of chiropractic and uh, definitely the politics so we can keep up on what's going on and keep people fired up to for uh, moving the, the profession in a subluxation-based direction. So we're thrilled to have you, man. A lot of things have been going on in your life, along with all the stuff that happened with the CCE hearing in December. So why don't you catch people up and uh, we can hear what's going on. Sure. Uh, well, um you know, as most people are aware, the uh, CCE was in front of the uh, Nisiki Committee, um, which is a committee that makes a recommendation to the U.S. Secretary of Education, uh, and they were there for a uh, renewal of their uh, recognition. And uh, you know, it was a uh, it was a pretty it was the first time I've ever been to this. There's been a lot of people fighting this battle for a long time. I know, Dee, that your dad was highly aware of the situation. In fact, his writing helped um, educate me about the subject. And um, it was, uh, you know, a four-hour-long uh, hearing while the, all the other bodies there had about 15 minutes, you know, average, and um, with no third-party presenters. And we had about 20 people there. Um, and it was uh, it was interesting to say the least. Um, we have the hearing um, audio, which will be coming out here very soon. We have a website for your listeners to go to and the profession to go to. It's www.mcqi.org, um, which will be released very shortly. And uh, I implore all of your listeners to listen into that uh, hearing. Okay, and it, it is four hours. Um, take so, take some breaks, um, but but we all need to understand what's going on. Um, there was some very interesting information. It was spun, you know. Uh, it was it was you know propaganda coming uh, from all sorts of directions. Right after the hearing, the ACA put out their spin, saying it was a victory, and and um, you know when the uh, when these committee members, these highly intelligent uh, professional members, attorneys and educators, um, are calling our accrediting body sloppy and... Uh, hey, hey yeah. Steve. Yeah, go Steve, ahead. This, I, I lost you there for uh, about 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Joe, did you lose him too? No, no, it's just that Boise connection you got there. Okay, I'm sorry. You got him. Sorry, Steve. I, I just missed it, and I thought we'd cut out there for a minute. No worries at all. Um, and as I was saying, the, the Nisiki committee was not buying it. At one point, one of the uh, committee members was you know, leaning back in his chair, just shaking his head, looking at these people and, and, and saying, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. And um, it was very clear that, uh, that there were serious issues going on. You know, they had 42 deficiencies, um, which the um, main reader, one of the main readers um, of the committee said that they hit the jackpot for the day. Yeah. Um, they were clearly not happy with the CCE, 
And the CCE was acting like this was purely a philosophical issue and that they had nothing wrong. They, they, they didn't even address uh, it as, as a, really a serious um, concern. And, um, and that same um, main reader also referred to it as, you know, they were presenting a red herring because they weren't addressing the issues. So uh, when it all got to the end there, they... Um, uh, they gave them 12 months, um, which they're doing to about 80% of the accrediting bodies. Um, so that's that wasn't anything that we didn't already expect. But the thing that, that was truly important and um, monumental, in my opinion, is that uh, they also tacked on uh, that the they had to show that they were in compliance with Section 602.13, which indicates that they have wide support of their procedures, policies, standards, and bylaws from the profession, which they clearly do not at this moment. Mm -hmm. And let's fast forward now to the um, their annual meeting, which just transpired last week. Um, there was about 12 of us there to observe, and we're, ho we're hoping to um, address the body at some point. They had us wait for 50 minutes before they even opened the doors as they were uh, determining their game plan for the day. And um, we got in there, and they let us know that they weren't going to be uh, taking any comments from the observers. Now, just we need to really think about this and frame this for our listeners and for the profession. Here, here we have one of the most powerful bodies in the profession that's shaping the the educational uh, climate and landscape and directing the profession in many ways by dictating our curriculum, and and they don't allow input. You know, they 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 hide behind a uh, corporate a corporate structure. Um, and there was just blatant, blatant disregard for the for what transpired in December, when uh, David Wicks was giving the report of the, what happened at the Nisiki committee meeting hearing. He are you still there? You know, mentioned. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. He he mentioned that they had the forty two deficiencies, but failed to mention. This 602.13. He he was just skirting the issue, right. and it, it took Guy Reekman um, questioning him twice to finally get uh, Dr. Wicks to acknowledge the 602.13 uh, mandate, and uh, uh, that was the tone throughout the day. They they were uh, not addressing the issues. Um, as I observed it, it was just amazing what an imbalance of power there is. There's no democracy in the CCE. There's no uh, semblance of acceptance of a subluxation-based or centered um, model. And um, anytime Guy Reekman proposed something, he was, um, you know, his fellow counselors were uh, just very. Um, they were very, you know, just uh, critical of and um, non-trusting of of anything he was putting forward. So it was eye-opening for me. Um, we have formed a coalition: the the movement for chiropractic quality and integrity, the uh, foundation for vertebral subluxation, and the International Federation of Chiropractors and Organizations formed a coalition, and we've sent a letter to them requesting um, a meeting, which they've uh, sent back a, a response that was less than uh, cordial. It was asking for basically who we are and what is our corporate and legal <laughs> status. And uh, we're drafting a letter to send back. The ICA has also requested a meeting. They were told that um, that they didn't have time for them on their agenda. Um, so they're, they're clearly not um, uh, doing what they're supposed to do and, and seek input from their constituents. So this is probably just a really dumbass question, but... Uh... And I'll say it in my ignorance, but I, but for the listeners out there, like, what's driving them? Like, what is it that makes them want to drive the profession into the ground? 
you know, they, they don't want to drive it into the ground. They, these are good people um, coming from a different belief system, from a different worldview. They believe that chiropractic needs to go into, into a um, primary care profession and that we are primary care physicians and, uh, and that we are part of chiro- you know, chiropractic medicine. So they have a much different view and vision for the profession, which is fine. Um, I can tolerate that and accept that. Um, but they show no sign of tolerance and certainly not acceptance of our position, and nor do they care to entertain it at this point. Well, and I guess so, when I say, sorry, driving no in the problem. ground, I mean, I don't literally mean them driving the ground. I mean, creating such a dichotomy and a split in a profession would essentially break it up from the inside out. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I get... Maybe they think they have good intentions, but when there's such a big chasm in thought, what else would happen to it? Uh, you know, my interpretation is that it's being run by only a few key individuals, um, and a lot of the counselors really are not privy to their agenda and not as aware of what's going on. Um, because these people meet um, only twice a year, um, and I'm sure they communicate and have their task force and things. Um, but the the structure is set up mo- like most um, board, you know, most um, uh, board of directors that the executive committee uh, runs the show. And so um, these people have switched spot seats. They've they've been in positions of power. Um, they don't want to let it go, and and now we see it, it was released um, just this week that uh, Craig Little, the new chair of the council, is a member of the West Hartford Group, hmm. which which is a uh, quote unquote think tank, uh, which puts out papers. Um, their, some of their members put out papers talking about us, the subluxationists and dogmatists, and um, and they clearly, um, we don't exist, or, or we don't, um, we are a blemish in their model, what they want to propose. They want to propose chiropractic as non-surgical spine care specialists. You know, Keith Overland, president of the ACA, is also a member of this group. Um, you know, th- these are some serious issues when we have groups like this, um, quasi-secretive groups uh, that... Uh, are now having key leadership within the CCE. Uh, I see it as a clear conflict of interest and um, certainly not a uh, peaceful move on the CCE's part. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Steve, it's Deed here. Uh, just real quick, can, can you give us just a little background on yourself, uh, where you went to college? A chiropractic college that is, uh, where you went to, et cetera, and just, just so the, the listeners out there kind of get a feel for who you are. Sure. I went to LACC and I graduated in 2002. I, um, I knew I wanted to be a chiropractor at the age of oh, 20 or 21. I, I knew I wanted to be um, a doctor. I thought that meant a medical doctor since the age of probably six or so. And uh, it wasn't until I... Um, was in a car accident and experienced chiropractic when I was 15 that I, I saw the amazing um, results. And at that time, the results meant pain relief and performance enhancement with sports and athletics. And uh, it wasn't until I had a shoulder injury and a orthopedic surgeon wanted to cut me open without even touching my shoulder that it, uh, a light bulb went off in my head and I, I knew that I was um, here to be a chiropractor. And uh, so I, I trained after I went to LACC. I trained with my mentor, Dr. Holland, for uh, almost two years, and, and then I went into private practice. Um, and just recently, um, have sold my practice. And um, uh, before that, I've been very active politically in the state of California. I'm the secretary of the um, California Chiropractic Association. Hmm. Good. Awesome. Yep. Cool. You know, well, just go ahead. No, Fred, it's okay. I'll wait. No, I was going to say, I'm sure you have a lot to say on this topic. So. Yeah. Uh, this this is so reminiscent, indeed. I'm actually looking back. I believe I have your dad on audio 
and I might be in iTunes of him going through some of this stuff back in 2007. Um, I, I would have to listen to some of this, but I think I'm pretty sure your dad actually nailed this back in 2007 on, on, on an iTunes podcast. Of course, he, I'm sure he labeled the dark side, what the dark side is doing, wake up the profession. Um, but you know, I'm going to let Deed go on because I think he got an email too from from an organization that supports this that uh, Joe sent both of us that just makes my blood boil. It is so just not even true about us not being scientific. Um, but uh, Deed, go ahead and uh, what do you have to say to expand on this? Well, the the thing is, these people, Steve's correct in the way he worded it. They they really just have a different vision and, and version of what chiropractic should be. They don't believe in chiropractic the way it's currently taught and has been taught since the inception of the profession. But that aside, it's irrelevant what a small group of people believe in and what they want to do to change the profession. It's not... It's not in their, uh, I think it's not in their uh, legal ability and legal authority to do this. So they're, what they're doing is they're finding subversive ways to try to change the course of an entire profession and rewrite what it is that we stand for uh, without the profession at large really knowing what's happening. And, you know, my dad got involved in the politics um, a long time ago because he, he pretty much saw this coming and he, he traced it back to several individuals and, and several groups, and they were all uh, basically, to quote him, incestuous. They were all in bed together. They all came from each other. You know, one board would come from another board, and these same people be, would be appointed over and over at different on different uh, committees at different times. So they just climbed the ladder and hopped back and forth. So you had a handful of people just kind of, you know, dictating the, the direction of this profession. And, and thank God now for social media and the ability to communicate at large very fast and rapidly. Otherwise, the profession would not be uh, collectively together on this issue, and we, we wouldn't have a voice. And like Steve was talking about, I don't know the section number, Steve, but where, uh, when you don't have the profession behind you collectively, that's in violation of uh, this, these uh, you know, government mandates that the CCE has to adhere to. So, so really, it comes down to there's a, there's a couple things people really forget, and a good friend of mine, and I think Steve might know him uh, from the ICA, is uh, James uh, Music, Dr. James Music, and he, he wrote a nice article for me in our journal this issue about the CCE, and his article's entitled, uh, CCE Poised to Dilute the Chiropractic Education. And it's a very insightful stance coming from somebody that was uh, involved in, in two chiropractic colleges from the ground up back in the 1970s and 1980s, uh, Dr. Music. My father knew uh, Dr. Music very well. But basically what he says in his uh, article that you can read in the, in the coming uh, couple weeks in the AJCC is that, look, in order to get these things done that the CCE is trying to do, if they're going to try to remove, and they've already done it, but whether or not it stands, uh, the, the term subluxation in the chiropractic profession, and then without the use of drugs and surgery as the, the way we practice and the way we, we teach and educate and approach things, and if the CCE is going to move to try to teach proprietary drugs, medicine, injectables, and or even minor surgery as is done in a couple states, if they try to do this while maintaining the chiropractic curricula requirements, we're in for a big, big surprise. And I think all the colleges are in for a big surprise. And if people really knew that this was is what was going to happen, I think that we'd be more up in arms than ever. Currently, the chiropractic educational standards are between 4,400 and 4,800 hours. And if you graduate weighted in the last decade, that's about what we had to do. I don't know what it was back in your day, Steve and, and Fred, but in my day it was about that 4,400 hours. So if the CCE is going to, to, to move the profession in this new direction and still keep the chiropractic educational requirements that they've mandated on the schools, we're looking at 
over 2,000 additional hours to be trained in medicine, injectables, and crap like that. Now, you're talking about two to three extra years in a chiropractic educational program, and that's just that's just absurd. It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. So, I mean, there's some big issues that are kind of hidden here where if people broke it down and really looked at it logically, if the CCE mandates actually you know, transpire, if they, they come to fruition, we're pretty much screwed as a profession. And the colleges are gonna, gonna really struggle with this. The, the only you know, rational you know, alternative would be that they cut the chiropractic education in half and then they stick 2,200 hours of uh, medical physician training where chiropractic physician training used to be. And now what do you have? You have two degrees that we basically got, forgive me, but shit. We're not trained at all in either one of them. You know, you're not going to be able to adjust your way out of a paper bag, and you probably won't even know how to inject a, a needle into, you know, like the uh, whatever vein, whatever you want to do. You know, hell, I don't remember veins. I remember <laughs> nerve spines, but you, you get the idea. So what, what the CCE is proposing, what they're trying to do is, is just absolutely asinine to the chiropractic educational requirements that are in existence today. And we know that two, two schools are really behind this. There's two major chiropractic colleges that are pushing this movement through the presidents that are at that school. And that's National Chiropractic College, or now National University of Health Sciences, James Winterstein, and it's uh, Brimhall up at Western States, and they've come out publicly, and they're they're supporting this. And and they're some of the people that, uh, like Steve talked about earlier, that are putting their own uh, twist on on what the federal government kind of slapped to the CCE last month. You know, they're trying to make it look, oh, it was a very friendly meeting, and you know, we got our one year long. Uh, accreditation and you know very little things were you know we were you know very uh, only slightly reprimanded etc so they put their own spin on it uh, but that's just food for thought for everybody out there and for you guys too what this is going to mean to chiropractic education should this occur yeah see the, the problem is is that they they sit there and they they sit on their soapbox and they say that a subluxation isn't scientific and these these uh Rogue schools like Sherman's and the Life's, you know, are are the problem, and they continue to teach quote unscientific, improvable theories that defy evidence-based practice standards. Okay, this is an email that I got from one of the organizations, and they and they basically just go on to say that um, uh, that we should basically it's time to seriously begin the process of asking the schools to withdraw their status or or be asked to leave. This would give the detractors of the profession a reason to believe that we're serious about science and evidence-based practice. You know, and I, I kind of just, I, I looked up the guy that wrote this email. And, you know, funny thing, Deed, um, I don't see him on Medline. Um, I just thought, you know, a scientific evidence-based person should have at least published something. I don't I, Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I'm just a little <laughs> curious there. You know, us, us a quasi-evangelicist uh, wackos, um, we actually do have science. Yeah, you know, you, you you bring up a good point, Joe, and I think I'll touch on that near the end when we go through research and evidence. But what what I think should should occur is these two or three chiropractic colleges that really do not buy into subluxation and, and really do not want without the use of drugs and surgery. What they should do is they should apply. To, to, to teach basically an introduction, an introduction to medicine degree. Don't call it a, an advanced chiropractic degree, but why don't they just offer a, like a, an intro to medicine degree, something like that if they want. And, of course, those are already out there, you know, physician's assistants. But let the colleges offer that as a secondary degree if they want without changing the chiropractic college curricula. And then they could add an additional an additional 2,200 or 2,400 hours in that particular field without affecting the chiropractic education, without affecting the chiropractic legal descriptions that are that are now ingrained in our profession and that are adopted throughout the world, including with the World Health Organization. Yeah, but to, to quote to quote your dad, follow the money because then if we tiered the profession, let's follow the flow of money on continuing education to that. That advance, I'm a real doctor of chiropractic medicine. 
So, yeah. oh, I have to go and take some extra courses because otherwise I won't get on these insurance companies and I won't get referrals. And then people are not going to refer to just me. I'm a chiropractor. I'm one of those wackos that adjust the spine. I want to, I need to be a DCM. So now I have to take these extra classes. Oh, oh, isn't it convenient on who offers those classes? Yeah. Well, that's it. just it. Don't call it an advanced chiropractic education or a DCM. It's not. Call it an introduction introduction to being a medical doctor, and then <laughs> let let the let the medical community at large fight that, and they'll destroy it. I mean, yeah. you, you, there's actual formal degrees already from you know nurse practitioners to physicians assistants to you know different types of medical doctors. So I mean, it's it's crap. Yep. Well, you know, the, the way I see this, you know, is, um, you know, they're not they're not going to budge. Um, they're not moving. They, they have a huge um, stranglehold on the power structure right now. Um, we're, we're basically shooting ourselves in the foot um, by not being involved as a profession. You know, that group you're talking about, the Florida Chiropractic yeah. Physicians Association has 800 members and that's only because they put out a a free offer to for a year yep. to to the entire nation so that's eight they only have 800 people while we have 10,000 in a facebook group yeah. uh, you know and and we certainly don't have enough numbers in, in the ICA and the IFCO yep. I, I was watching a, um, a clip last night on um, freedom and liberty and it was a clip of um, Malcolm X actually and and he was telling the people at that meeting that if they were not registered to vote that he if they didn't have the response if they didn't take that responsibility seriously enough that he would walk them out of the county um, because they didn't deserve to be there now you know we have that same issue in chiropractic you know we have yep. you know these docs that um, are happy and think everything's peachy because they're serving you know 200 300 400 people in their office Yet they're not uh, getting out and either a part of a an organization and, and at least helping to foot the bill, or or getting um, pissed off and doing something about this. And um, you know that's that's a, one of the biggest issues that we face in chiropractic is that you know the only reason we're even in this spot is because of our own um, apathy mm-hmm. and lack of. Um, uh, of awareness. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for this opportunity and, and for you guys to, to be sharing this information. Well, so what do you think our next step is if we can get, obviously you're on here, Steve, because we want people to move. There's gotta be action and, and it's due right now. So what, what do we need to do? What message do we need to get out? What action steps do people need to take? Um, number one, um, stay informed. If you're not on Facebook, get on Facebook. It's as Deed was saying, it's, it really is social media that is driving this and fueling this reformation. Um, this isn't a revolution. This isn't an, an attack as the CC likes to frame it. This is an opportunity for them to, uh, be reformed, to get back into a, a, uh, an acceptable relationship with the profession. And so people need to, number one, be aware, get on Facebook, call those that aren't on it. Or, you know, there's a lot of um, docs out there who are not tech savvy, who have not, um, you know, just don't want to be a part of that. They need to get on an email list. We're going to, we're setting up a, that website again is mcqi.org where we're going to have an um, email list. We're going to have a section um, there for people to put input into a, a new curriculum, a vitalistic curriculum for the profession. Um, for those schools that wish to see that um, uh, or wish would like to adopt that, um, you know, one of the biggest issues is that they've been watering down our education and medicalizing our education for years and years until the point that we have these doctors coming out that don't even realize it's as bad as it is. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize why they're, fi- why they're failing in practice. They're trying to uh, practice a vitalistic philosophy, science, and art through a mechanistic lens and technique. And, and so we have these – we already have these – you know, docs that are completely confused. I just talked to one from Palmer, uh, Florida, 
this guy, he's he, te- he straight out said he's confused. He's he's not happy. He he knows he loves chiropractic, but he's not sure what he's doing. And uh, that's that's not acceptable for our students to come out of a of a professional college, a, a get, receive a professional degree that's uh, cost you know up to you know one hundred and twenty, hundred fifty thousand dollars, and have it not worth anything in terms of being able to um, successfully run a practice and successfully and tr- uh, take care of people in their clinics. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to be um, more um, upset and willing then to take the next step and, and get politically active and, and involved in this movement. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Indeed. Do you have anything else to, to add to this part? Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I, okay. I'm here. I'm just processing everything that was said, and you know, I, I probably shouldn't have got all worked up and swore. So you can either delete that, or we can. Yeah, put it makes good. It's, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting you ready for uh, Cal Jam. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is that the the CCE is supposed to represent not just you know the profession, but the public, and so both those two things, like we've been talking about, and Steve's brought up, uh, you know, routinely here. The CCE has to represent the the majority of what the chiropractic profession at large believes in and believes what what chiropractic to be, and also what the public sees chiropractic and what they see chiropractors' uh, role as. You know, it's not it's not in their power. It shouldn't be, and I don't believe it is. And I see, I think this will happen. It's not in their power to change the direction of. Of, of a profession. Now, that's not to say that the profession should not update itself. Of course, it should. You know, as a as a researcher, and I, I consider myself a, a clinical scientist. I think it's very important to keep abreast of, of new findings in the scientific literature and and update yourself and and to really you know remove some of the dogma in in the day to day practices. But that doesn't mean that we can't remain consistent with the original chiropractic tenets and core philosophy that we have, because those things are absolute truths. Those are not beliefs. It's not a belief that your body can heal itself. It's not a belief that your spine interacts with your nervous system and influences the function of your body. That's not a belief. It's a damn fact. It's known. So you you can't say that subluxation doesn't exist. What you can do is you can argue on the definition of subluxation, and you can update the definitions, but you you cannot remove it because then what you're saying is universal scientific facts like gravity are not true, and that's what the CCE is trying to do. So these things, it will come true that the CCE will not be able to change the direction or really the identity of our profession. But I think some some big changes will occur, and you're already seeing those at the college curricula uh, level. That you're seeing some, you know, new courses that are that are going on in in the chiropractic colleges, and you're seeing some some courses being uh, thrown out because the colleges kind of have to get with the, the the times. But again, that doesn't mean we cannot adhere to our core chiropractic philosophical tenets and what our profession was founded on. Well, indeed, let me uh, just really quickly talk about that, too. You know, you talked about beliefs, and, and yeah, what you just stated, those are scientific facts. And, uh, you know, we do have a belief system in chiropractic, as do they. You know, we, we both have belief systems. One is vitalistic and one is mechanistic. And the thing about belief systems are that neither one can be uh, proven, Completely, you can't prove that you know life cannot be um, explained purely through mechanism. Um, vitalism cannot be scientifically proven at this point, you know, and maybe never will. The the thing is that that's an operational system that frames our every interaction, and and the majority of the world has a vitalistic background theory. Um, they they believe in uh, higher power. They believe in a life force of some sort. And yet, we run, we we try to run this mechanistic healthcare system uh, with these vitalistic belief systems, and we wonder why we have horrible outcomes. And so we don't need to be a, a, um, 
ashamed of our vitalistic roots. We should be proud of them. We should proclaim them, and we should allow and teach the world who already has a belief system rooted in vitalism what it, this is in terms of modern language and how chiropractic allows them to obtain optimum health, optimum function, optimum uh, life expression. Great. Yep. Well, you know, I thought you brought up a good point, Deed, when you talk about the CCE's responsibility, you know, not, like I said, it's, it's, it's not the responsibility to determine the direction of the profession, but I think the point that was interesting is how do you, how does the general, what's the, what's the demand of the general public? You know, like this guy comes out of school, he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't know what he's delivering, I mean, basically the guy's lost, but what does the general public want? I mean, I would think if, if the CCE really cared about the profession, you realize that they're just mimicking a failing system already. And that's the things you see on Facebook. You know, people make these comments, why do we want to do that? The system's already failing. Like, what is the direction of the general public? What do they want? And I don't think it's more medicine. I mean, this is obvious. But, you know, when you follow all the Facebook comments, you know, there's a pretty common thread through most of it. And Steve, you know, you, you have a, some great perspectives without judging one opinion or another, but stating, stating just a, a great foundational position, which I'm always impressed with your perspectives because so many people throw opinions. Hey, including myself, man. I mean, you know, everybody's complaining. Hey, we don't have research. We need this. We need that. And, and I understand the vitalistic and me mechanistic approach. You know, and it seems like we've been in this business like 116 years or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, we're not seeing that many people in the profession. So apparently the philosophy hasn't, the general public hasn't necessarily bought the philosophy, although they are moving in that trend. But, I mean, here's where, like what you said, Deed, you know, it's a matter of laws of the universe, man. It's gravity. It's physics. You know, maybe, I don't know, your dad did some pretty good research to determine, hey, here's an optimal structure. You know, there are certain laws that we live by walking on two legs, and maybe we can't prove a life force, but we can certainly prove that the spine and the body will physically break down. I mean, even though we don't really, the profession wasn't built on musculoskeletal problems, and I'm not saying we should communicate that. But at least we know that's, that's definitely a good starting point. And I think that's, Steve, I, I know you have such a, a great perspective and your openness. You know, and I guess we're, I'll just take this personally. I'm, I'm certainly a little bit slanted. We're certainly not taking care of enough of the profession. You know, hey, man, maybe we should plug some uh, CBP research. It's not a matter of a technique, but... It is pretty solid. At least we have an optimal spinal structure. And you pretty much know that deviations from that structure cause a lot of problems. I mean, yeah. you know, we could start yeah, so the, from there. How about that as a reference point? Well, I think, you know, we the, the number of research articles that um, CBP has out there, you know, we can't overlook that. It's, it's phenomenal that, uh, that we have such information out there. And it is a good starting point to show the public because we need to bridge the gap um, for them. They they still live in a mechanistic world and make mechanistic decisions. And everyone knows they get their needs to go get their teeth checked. Right. You know, the same. Everyone needs. Everyone should know that they need to have a, a properly functioning spine. And while a Ideal spine doesn't always mean ideal function. It certainly does most of the time. Um, you know that is a good starting point to tell people. Well, do you think your body's going to function better with a, a a good curve or a a degenerated spine that uh, looks like it's been you know through the ringer? So, um, you know, it, I do think that's a, a a good place to to look into further, and uh, we need more and more research in all of our techniques. Um, I haven't done enough research into CBP, uh, would love to, and um, would certainly encourage you guys to uh, be a part of the um, discussions on the new curriculum and put input in, into you know, what, what a phenomenal, um, vitalistic, contemporary scientific uh, curriculum looks like that, that we would all love to give, you know, offer to our children and grandchildren. 
And, uh, you know, the more people we have on there, the better. Yep, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because I usually plug my comments in there. And I'm not, I mean, I'm definitely spinal correction based and, and obviously we all are. And it's not even about CBP, man. I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, Don Harrison, he did the research. It's like, it's not about CBP. It's just about this is, like you said, a reference point. Hey, here's optimal spine. Is everybody going to reach there? No, but it's a good reference point. Like, take CBP out of it. Just look at, at least we have something, mm-hmm. as opposed to what do we have to grasp on? You know, what's what's everybody trying to grasp? And You know, and I mean, that could lead into a whole other yeah, topic. Yeah, I know. That, that's that's, that's a whole, the whole talk in itself, yep. So I don't know. I mean, I always certainly makes comments. Next thing you know, it's yeah, you know, it, um, free and post. Right, 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 now we, right now we have a, um, uh, you know, at least this is what I got when I went to school. I, I went to school and, and I received uh, diversified um, courses, basically uh, manual medical manipulation of the spine. You know, any physical therapo- physical therapist or physiotherapist can do. Um, with certainly no... Um, you know, no pre and post checks, no sort of outcome measures, no um, nothing besides uh, palpatory findings, and that is what. Um, and not to mention that subluxation uh, was really a laughable term at, at the college. And when I got out of school, I couldn't even say subluxation to my practice members. Um, that's appalling, you know, because there was no attempt to to share, there is no um, educational freedom. There is no, I mean, these are, these are academic institutions. There's supposed to be freedom of thought and um, of expression, and yet we ha- have, uh, you know, there's persecution going on in, in those environments. You know, that, it's not as bad at, you know, LECC now. Um, in fact, you know, they, I was just there and spoke a few months ago, and they bring others in, and it's much more open environment. But when I was there, um, there was very much. It's they're touting a uh, an agenda, and that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, I graduated from LACC in '87, and that's when the word subluxation began to become profanity. So uh, that's a whole. That's almost another generation from 2002, which I, I think you said you graduated. But uh, hey, maybe they've come first full circle because I'm pretty sure in the '90s, man, that was uh, it was pretty profane in the late '80s. Like, yeah, I don't know what the '90s was, but it sounds like maybe they lightened up a little bit well, when you were uh, there. Yeah, it has to do with their their leadership. There, Reed Phillips was the president when I was there, um, and um, you know he was clearly not um, for the subluxation language. And uh, they're definitely more moderate. Yeah, I'd say they're they're moderate, leaning towards liberal at this point. Um, you know, in order if we're going to ask for freedom and for for liberty, then then we need uh, we need to be willing to grant it to others. Now, that means that we need that doesn't mean the the concept of liber- liberty is that that. It's okay for one to do something as long as it doesn't harm another. Now, those that want to add drugs into our profession and those that want to um, do injectables and those sorts of things, that is a philosophic attack on our, on our foundation. And it is also harmful to our economic and uh, our, brand, our economics and our branding of the profession. You know that's where I believe we have some uh, some grounds in terms of you know we can we can have some accept uh, we need we obviously need more allowance and acceptance in our profession you know just in our own camp we can't get along and over the silliest things and uh, you know so we do need to have some more allowance and acceptance on the other side as well um for those that want to practice in a more mechanistic even a more medical uh therapeutic paradigm however the addition of drugs is is an attack on our entire foundation and that's not acceptable yep well i think also um you know like what you said earlier you went to school and you learned some hey some motion palpation and some physical therapy 
And, you know, what's unique about that, man? How are we just as I mean, if we take the emotion of the philosophy out of it and just be strictly objective as a business, what uniqueness does that have when, you know, what you can go to a physical therapist and get that stuff? Why would a person want to follow your recommendations when their insurance covers something else? There's nothing unique that would make them pull money out of the pocket if you followed what you're taught in school. There's no, why would we have any of the market share? Correct. We have nothing to sell other than a duplication of services that someone may have to pay out of their pocket for. Yep. And that doesn't make any sense. Well, they're hoping that we'll be absorbed into the system and, and, and that by becoming a part of chiropractic medicine that uh, our reimbursement will be increased and we'll be given more tools as they like to um, put it. You know, it, it, it really is an economic, um, you know, issue going on. And, um, you know, the, the deeper I got into this, the more I saw just how, um, how money runs our profession. And it was, it was quite disappointing, honestly, I guess I'm, I'm a bit of an idealist and I, and I thought chiropractic was different. Um, you know, the thing is, you know, we have a natural philosophy. Uh, It's as close to one of the, um, most perfect philosophies of life that I've seen out there. Um, but man is not perfect. And when man gets involved, he screws things up. And, um, and so we're never going to get, we're never going to have a perfect profession. I've, I've come to terms with that. There's no chiropractic utopia. Um, but we certainly can have peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we all need to be headed. Yep. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. I have a comment on the money issue. i, I got to separate this out, I think, it, it, both for me in my mind, but for all of us and the listeners out there. It, it cannot be more money for the practitioners because right now what we're seeing in the last two to three years, we're seeing more medical doctors go out of business and go bankrupt than any other time in history. So – it would be an interesting stat, and I don't know it. Maybe one of you, maybe one of you know it, uh, Steve. Maybe you know it. The number of chiropractors going out of business right now, compared to the number of medical doctors, including surgeons, general practices, etc., going out of business, I would bet that it's much higher in the medical community right now than it is for chiropractors that are going out of business. So. For the colleges to, to all of a sudden switch and go to a medical model when their financial livelihood is being extremely threatened right now for the first time in, in our lifetimes, this makes no sense from the, the college point of view to put out students that are not going to make it. Where, where the money is, the schools are looking at more money from prospective students that are trying to get into the field and hopefully down the road maybe for some government subsidiary funding uh, for each student that they get into this new medical training program. But, you know, let's be honest, the, the, to change chiropractors into pseudo-medical doctors is not a financially appropriate move in this economy. No, and, and it shouldn't be by force. It should be by choice if if certain schools wish to do so. As, and again, as long as they're within our core um, paradigm, um, you know, then, then that's a choice. It, we can't, they can't by force, um, you know, make us do this. And um, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the thing is, you know, the, the, our biggest contribution to a school shouldn't be in the form of a student, you know, who represents one hundred and twenty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars to them, when they may come out of school not even knowing what chiropractic is, and or be very confused about it. Um, you know, it's uh, we have to. You know, it's time to take a stand. It's it's pe- actually it's long past time to take a stand, and that means from from our practitioners, from our our politicians, from our administrators in the colleges, faculty, students, um, enough is enough. You know, we're, we are, um, in the most serious, um, times as, as a profession. But with that said, I truly believe we have the, the, the biggest and rarest opportunity to truly put forth 
a new model that will thrive. And, um, and I, I'm confident about that. And there's uh, plenty of uh, brilliant minds working on this right now and, and uh, excited about this. And, and we, we need more, though. We're, I mean, it's, um, um, we need more workers and we need more people willing to, to do the work. Yep. All right. So, Deed, w- closing thoughts. Wh- what do you think before we move on to uh, some some research that I know you you want to get out of you? I know you posted well, some things. I was just all of a sudden reminded by a quote that my dad used to always say. At the end of the day, what unites all chiropractors, it doesn't matter what technique you do and what your belief is. The one thing we all do is we apply forces and moments to the human body and the human spine. Forces are force loads, are translation loads like compression, shear, etc. Moments are rotations like a diversified uh, rotation and lateral bend. So at the end of the day, we are applying physical forces and moments to a biological body to improve the vitality and health and well-being. That's what unites us all. And the question is, you've got to ask yourself, why are you applying that specific force or that specific moment in the manner that you're applying it and at the location you're applying it? If you want to call it a fixation, call it a fixation for, for mobility. If you want to call it a subluxation for alignment, call it a subluxation for alignment. We are still united by the application of forces and moments. Yep. Well yeah, absolutely. Well, and let me let me just read you something here from um, this is from the MCQI um, page, and um, I want it one second. You know, basically, you know, we, we want to see we want to seek unity without uniformity. You know, we 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 truly do have that in common. What you just mentioned, and um, you know, there's room for for. A lot of different types of practice within that model, you know, and and uh, as long as subluxation is at the core and and uh, correcting that neurological interference is uh, key to that um, to why we're doing what we're doing, then then we're all on the same page. Yeah. Cool. Well, any final comments, Joe? Uh, no, I mean that pretty much sums it up. I, you know, I, I think that people just need to get involved, either on Facebook. Once in a while, they, I think they need to come out and, as everybody would say, get dipped in some philosophy and actually remember what it is that, that, you know, we're we're proving through our research. As, and that's kind of a unique thing, you know, when people hear, oh, you're a CBP chiropractor, they forget or they were never exposed to how philosophical we really are. And I mean, we are uh, what I would say that we have the most underlying philosophy of anybody on any platform. And those will hear uh, probably on Deed's talk. Uh, I don't know uh, so much with your talk uh, uh, this week at Parker, but I know at CalJAM, it's going to be um, based on the philosophy of, of chiropractic correction of subluxation. And I think people need to hear that and know that we don't have all the answers, but you know what? We actually have a lot that people just simply ignore that if you don't do CBP technique, that's fine, but you can't ignore that there's a normal range uh, or at least an average range of normal. And once you get outside that bell curve, certain things happen to the spine. So if you don't believe it, it's irrelevant. Your wolf, Wolf's law still applies. You know, it's a law, it's not Wolf's opinion. Bones remodeled due to stress, and it will cause nerve interference, and it doesn't matter if they believe it or not, but they should at least learn um, real biomechanics of the spine, and that helps prove the philosophy for all of us. Yeah. There you go. So uh, I'm going to end with a couple research articles. Are we ready for that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this one, I've got two of them this time, and I, I know that, Joe, you probably got lucky and you've probably seen one of them because I posted it on the Facebook page. Yeah, But yeah, uh, I'm going to start yeah. with one. I'm pretty sure you haven't So... This one, uh, I'm going to bring this one up because we our first seminar of the year, the CBP seminar, is actually in Park City, Utah. It's in February. I believe it's the 18th and 19th in Park City, Utah in February. We're going to do the thoracic kyphosis and rehabilitation of the thoracic spine. 
And really, it's one of the most underappreciated areas of the human body. And, and really, in chiropractic, oftentimes, it's very underappreciated. Oftentimes, chiropractors uh, don't routinely x-ray the thoracic spine due to, uh, you know, the quality of the films when we were uh, using plain film radiographs. So, so it was difficult to get a view there, so we oftentimes neglected it. So I always like to throw in some thoracic uh, research, but this one's really full spine as well as thoracic spine. Uh, this one comes out of Archives of Osteoporosis, 2011. It's uh, volume 6, pages 13 through 20. Uh, the lead author is uh, Imagama, I-M-A-G-A-M-A. So if you just uh, go to PubMed.com and you type in Imagama, and his uh, first initial is S, and you, you'll see this paper come up. Of course, there's other authors on there. I don't want to neglect them. But just the lead author, Imagama, Archives Osteoporosis 2011. Uh, this is a very nice paper. It's a prospective study of 304 uh, middle to older age adults, so we're looking at uh, 50 years of age and o older, and these are not people that are coming in for back pain. This is a basic health checkup evaluation. And what they were trying to identify, is there a relationship between the quality of life and physical functional findings that they can identify in the sagittal plane profile of the person's spine? And is this also correlated with osteoporosis? So they're looking at osteoporosis as well as sagittal plane profiles and mobility, strength, and things like that. So 304 uh, middle-aged men and women, 135 males, 169 females. They had lateral lumbar radiographs, and then they had a sagittal balance assessment using a surface contact uh, uh, program. And then they did grip strength, muscle strength, a 10-meter gait time evaluation, and then they administered the SF36 uh, questionnaire. What they identified is that there's a significant correlation between the physical component score on the SF36 and things like the sacral inclination angle on the lateral lumbar radiograph. So on the SF36, physical function correlated to radiographic findings, sacral inclination angle, lumbar lordosis, as well as sagittal balance profiles and grip strength and muscle strength. So this paper identified that in a middle-aged and elderly population who underwent an, a basic health examination, there, there's correlations between the way your sagittal balance is your spinal mobility and your strength and your quality of life as a middle-aged elderly subject. So how does that tie into what we do? Well, as structural-based chiropractors, we're evaluating people's sagittal balance. We're taking x-rays, we're looking at their posture, and we do administer the SF36 questionnaire, at least we recommend that you do. Uh, that's one of the big things we've been uh, asking our doctors to do in CBP technique for the last five to seven years is keep good records, look at quality of life, look at physical function, and then see if there's a relationship to the sagittal balance. And then our job is to try to restore the sagittal balance of the spine to as near normal as possible in that individual, and then we should see the quality of life and uh, physical performance uh, functions improve, and that's what chiropractic is. You remove subluxation. In our world, it's abnormal spine, and you improve the physical function and the quality of life of these people. So that's a, a great paper, and I know, Joe, you probably haven't seen that one. No, you know, you keep hiding out some of these articles. You know, I'm going to find the source, and I'm going to have to pay them off so I get these articles before you. It's not going to happen, my friend. <laughs> My thing is, you know, isn't that the philosophy of chiropractic? I mean, isn't that what it is? Health? Yeah, but you know what? The difference is if it was a CBP or any other chiropractor that said the same thing, they would say, call us wackos. Now they'll just say that it doesn't apply, that that's not subluxation, when in fact that is subluxation. So it's it's just funny that uh, they'll say that that science paper deed, that, that doesn't exist. That, right. that, yeah, there's no science behind what what, doc, what chiropractors do with the subluxation, yet that's a paper that proves what we do. Yeah, well, at least it provides some evidence for, you know, our approach. Now, the second and final article is one on anterior head translation. I just want to give a quick background of why I'm discussing this one. 
Now, CBP doctor of ours, uh, Dr. Mark Lipschitz, he sent out an email to us the other day. And, Joe, I know you saw yeah. this. And he was on a chat room site on the Internet called all ex- it's called allexperts.com. And you can probably get the idea that these are not really experts. And what, what happens is you get these people on there that have an agenda, whether it's an insurance-driven agenda or an anti-chiropractic-driven agenda, whatever it is, they're, they're putting out some bad information. One of the experts he was uh, interacting with is not to name names, but Dr. Scott F. Gilman, D.C., uh, who's a diplomat in the American uh, Chiropractic Board of Sports Physicians, basically told uh, Dr. Mark on this chat room internet site, and you can go to the site and look it up, it's on there, it's still actively posted there, said that there's no evidence that anterior head translation affects anything, and it's basically a load of crap, and we're scaring the public into unjustifiable long-term corrective care programs, providing unnecessary excessive care that's way outside evidence-based gu- or evidence guide, uh, evidence-guided treatment guidelines. That's a quote. So this is what this guy is saying, and he says that there, there's absolutely no evidence for this. So I thought I'd throw this one out for Dr. Mark, who sent us the email, and to Dr. Scott Gilman to see uh, what type of person he is. Is he the type of person that is going to just look at this and laugh and say, I'm going to keep my personal opinion? Or is he the type of person that's actually going to start to read this information, process it, accommodate it into a new vision and a new version of his reality? I don't think that that will happen just by reading his article, but whatever. Here it is. This uh, paper came out in 2011 as well. It was in uh, Clinical Rehabilitation, the uh, September issue of Clinical Rehabilitation 2011. It's by Diab, D-I-A-B, et al., and the initials are A-A. Uh, of interest, uh, the second author on here is actually a, a colleague of mine that I've done a project with, uh, Dr. Ibrahim uh, uh, Mustafa from uh, the University of Cairo in Egypt. Well, they put out a randomized clinical trial looking at a couple different interventions on their ability to improve forward head translation and that relationship on correction of forward head translation to nerve root function and pain in people with cervical spondylotic radiculopathy. What they did is a randomized control study with a six-month follow-up. They had 96, that's 96 patients, with unilateral stenosis and spondylotic radiculopathy, either at the C5, C6, or C6, 7 levels. Uh, in the control group, 48 of these subjects, they gave them ultrasound and infrared, whereas in the treatment group, they gave them ultrasound, infrared, and corrective care type of functional rehabilitation exercises to uh, improve anterior head translation and strength train. Uh, They also looked at uh, peak-to-peak amplitude of dermatomal somatosensory evoked potentials and they looked at a measurement of anterior head translation using what's called the cranial vertebral angle. Uh, they did 10 weeks of treatment, which is uh, three times a week. That's 30 visits, and that's what this Dr. Gilman was complaining about, unnecessary and excessive. But yet it's right in the rehabilitation literature, 30 visits over 10 weeks, and then a six-month follow-up. They identified significant differences between the groups where the exercise group Uh, in addition to ultrasound and IR, was the group that got improvement of posture. And that improvement of posture was related to improvement of dermatomal somatosensory evoked potentials. So what they identified was correction of forward head posture in this exercise program combined with IR and ultrasound, improved posture, and it increased the peak-to-peak amplitude of dermatomal somatosensory evoked potentials in people with uh, spondylotic cervical radiculopathy. Now, what does that mean to chiropractors? Right there, that's an article that says, you correct the structure of the spine, the nervous system function improves. And peak-to-peak dermatomal somatosensory evoked potentials are a direct assessment of nerve function and nerve interference. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, uh, you know what, Deed? Um, I'm, a, I'm a medically-oriented chiropractor. I just don't believe it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't believe it. You know, 
Although I hear there's a pretty good app out there to measure that. I, I don't know. I, I heard there's some app on iTunes that might be able to measure that, you know. You mean with an icon with a guy with a forward head posture? Yeah, you know, there might be something. I might, uh, yeah, I've heard about it. But anyway, you know what, that, that is a, that's an awesome paper. I mean, I mean, what more is there except for if, if chiropractors did that? I mean, uh, chiropractors can go ahead and do, even though I don't do it, I mean, they can go ahead and do ultrasound and infrared. And, I mean, it goes to show you that the, the key difference there was the, the exercise, but not just any exercise. It was a specific, i.e. mirror image exercise, that type of postural type of exercise, I would assume. I didn't read the methods on the exercise, but I'm assuming it was to correct the anterior head carriage, like you said. So, I mean, that's more evidence for what we do. They can't keep ignoring us. Yep. Let me just read you one more quote from this uh, allexperts.com guy, uh, Dr. Uh, Scott Gilman. And by Here's the way, he... If, if he wants to come on on the Chiropractic United, he's more than welcome to debate you on online. We'll have him on. Yeah, I, I'm not just going to talk bad about a guy. If he wants to come on and do it online, we'll do that. Yeah, but he, You know, and, and, and I'm not talking bad about him. I'm just cr- critiquing what he said. Here, here's what he said to uh, uh, the CBP doctor online. Uh, this is Dr. Gilman, who's an expert, I guess, on uh, allexperts.com. Well, he is online he, and all. So he right. Has to be. Right. So he says, if you think there is research to support that forward head posture is so d- disastrous a health issue, then please bring it to my attention. Otherwise, those DCs that push the cultish CBP or other pseudoscience crap on the public should be reported to their licensing boards for providing unnecessary excessive care way outside evidence-based treatment guidelines. And, wow. the, and this guy, if he, if he studied any sort of sports, and I assume he did, right, what is the number one thing that is paramount in sports? Uh, you know, as, coming from a competitive powerlifting background, I think alignment has a little bit to do with sports, you know? And my brother being a world champion in powerlifting, what do you think we work on? Um, you know, and his anterior head carriage has a lot to do if he squats, you know, 750 or 800 pounds, you know. So it's just crazy. But go on. Sorry about distracting you from what you're saying. No, it just it shocks me that somebody's going to write something like that on the Internet uh, under the guide of being an expert. And, and uh, demand evidence when all, all you have to do is a simple medline search. I mean, apparently this guy doesn't know how to do, you know, a medline search. Go to PubMed.com and just type in uh, anterior head posture or, or posture in general and see what comes up. You yeah, know, that's crazy. Well, I, I think if he doesn't want to come on the podcast, uh, you, know, um, you know, he's more than welcome to write into the American Journal of Clinical Chiropractic and um, take his time with the response deed, and uh, I think it would be very uh, nice to, you know, not have a, uh, an objective debate with him. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, we're nice enough to people online, right, Steve? We're good to you. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right, Fred, do you have anything else in, in closing? Because I know uh, a lot of us are packing to go to uh, Parker, Las Vegas tomorrow morning. So uh, we'll have to bring it to a close. Yeah, I think, you know, it's pretty much been said. That was a, that was a, a great finale, I think, that certainly proves or uh, states our, our opinion. Absolutely. On, uh, you know, basic philosophy, correction, structure, function, the whole thing. So that's where we come from on Kyrie United. And I appreciate you being here, Steve. Thank you for all the things that you're doing, man, because, you know, you're a warrior and uh, you got you're at the tip of the spear leading a lot of people. So thank you for being on here and thank you for all the things that you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Steve. My my pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me on so we can uh, get the message out. Yeah. Anytime you need to get the message out, just uh, let us know. We love having you on. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, guys. You're welcome, Steve. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good night. Until next time. Take care. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.